Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. We're back. We're back. It's been a fortnight, and we're, we're back together. We're back in the atmosphere. I'm paraphrasing. I didn't know I'd be paraphrasing Train on this show, but there it was. That's, you I mean, know, that was from the, that album that is named after a planet. So anyway. I mean, I feel like after we did our in-depth One Direction coverage that really anything is possible on the show, so. That's right. Well, the Taylor Swift episode will have to wait a little bit, but yeah. That One Direction coverage was pretty on point, though. I mean, you got your NASA, you got your footage. Anyway. Oh, we went to college for this. My, Michael Jackson episode coming up, too. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, so we're back, and uh, it's been a fortnight, and yes. we have some pre-flight checklist items. Yes, before we, before we lift off, we must, we must check the pre-flight checklist. What's on the pre-flight checklist, Stephen? So it's, it's, a, it's a mix of stuff. Uh, we're going to start with some uh, shuttle follow-up that we got. Got a bunch of emails and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to point... Uh, listeners to two different videos uh, one sent in by uh, uh, Daniel the other sent in by Derek Um, one uh, the one Daniel sent in is (laughs) super like super nerdy look at the cameras used to capture launch uh, of the shuttle so it's uh, it's narrated by a couple of uh, NASA employees and they're basically just kind of shifting through some camera angles and explain, you know, what they're capturing, why they're capturing. It is really nerdy. I turned it on on the Apple TV a couple of nights ago. And my wife was um, in the dining room and she's like, oh, you're going to, you know, she come sit down and watch it with me. She's like, nope, can't do this. <laughs> but, uh, but if you're into that sort of thing, it, it really is interesting. I ended up skimming it uh, a little bit because it gets a little dry, but it's... It is 45 really, minutes long. It is 45 minutes long uh, of uh, an event that takes about a minute and a half. Uh, interesting to see. You know, they, they wanted to capture the launch from all these different angles to make sure, you know, to study, to see what had, if anything had gone wrong. This only increased after the Columbia disaster with the, with the foam strike. Um, and, uh, as time went on, they upgraded these systems, you know, over the years. And now, uh, you know, NASA is, is shooting in like 4k footage of all these launches. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool how that's evolved. And the, the video Derek sent in, uh, over on the New York times is about the challenger disaster. And what I, what I liked about this, this video in particular, amongst some others that I've seen is that there's a lot of time spent on the decision to fly against the advice of the engineers, which you know we spoke about last time, but it really goes into that uh, decision making on the part of management, and um, uh, and then they also touch on that uh, with the Columbia disaster a little bit towards the end about uh, you know people had asked for images of Columbia and they were they were turned down, and so really talking about an unwillingness, uh, the unwillingness of management to break from routine yeah. when. Um, pushed from those kind of in the in the rank and file. So it's 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 hard to watch because uh, obviously in hindsight we know how their decisions, um, you know, with the impact of, of those decisions. But it's it's a it's a good look at from that angle if you if you want to see more in that. Yeah, I actually there's a there's a TV movie that came out last year called The Challenger Disaster that is basically follows Richard Feynman around. Um, but it, it's good and it, it's very much like showing the processes in Washington that are working against the um the discovering 
after the fact discovering what happened and why and then also the processes that led to the um led to the the accident and uh it's 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 good because it's dramatized so you get that um you know it's it's if you want something a little more exciting than a documentary even though it's yeah. maybe a little less of what actually happened in point by point um it's uh it's uh, pretty good and it's cool. um who's Feynman in that William Hurt is Feynman in that it's good yeah I haven't seen this I'll I'll put a link in the show notes um uh, I had not seen this so I'll add this to my uh Amazon they have an Amazon video so I'll add that to my yeah it's good my list there um so Jason your your Venus probe well not yes. really your Venus probe but yeah, your Venus it. probe <laughs> yep it's me is now is now at Venus Akatsuki has made it yeah so the uh the the Japanese uh Venus probe Akatsuki which missed Venus on its first attempt because its main engines basically uh, didn't work. So it failed to insert in Venus orbit. And it just kind of did a long looping thing around the sun and they kept doing all these kind of maneuvers. And something like five years uh, later, uh, it was meant to insert, yeah, at, at Venus in 2010. Five years later, they've gotten it in orbit. And it took these, uh, using their... Um, basically the jets that were were meant for uh attitude control <laughs> they managed to push it in uh in the right direction and get it to finally with this final this final burn getting this super um kind of elongated orbit so they'll be in closer than they were supposed to be at the at the close part of the orbit and then they go kind of way out and it's a 9 day uh a 9 day orbit but they're in orbit and that's a big deal there there is no um there are actually very few, other than Mars, very few probes orbiting other planets, and Venus hasn't had one um, in a little bit. So yeah, it's a it's it's nice that Akatsuki made it and will now be able to do some science. Yeah, it's it's. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of this. You know, Venus is an interesting planet for a bunch of reasons, and and it doesn't get the attention um, that that Mars does for for a lot of reasons. I think that the main one being that we can go to Mars and yeah. we would not, as we've talked about at length. Um, well, like like there, like Emily Lactowal said to us, um, it's uh, you know that we we should probably land on Venus, but it's a lot harder to land something on right. Venus. And uh, and there's that tantalizing idea of actually not landing on Venus, but putting an airship in Venus. Venus's atmosphere at pressures that are that are much more conducive to keeping a probe equipped for a while. Um, so you know, it's yeah, Venus Venus needs more uh, more exploration. So it's nice to see Akatsuki made it after five years in the in the void. Literally, <laughs> it yeah. made it. Yeah, I, I just I love this I love the story of this of this of this probe. I mean, this is an Apollo to... thirteen kind of story, right? Where where it's it's like or the Martian, where it's like, okay, well, let's try to let's try to science this until right. and they and they did it. It's pretty cool. It is cool. Uh, we have uh, coming up, and hopefully, in just a couple of days' time. Uh, this will be in the past if if all goes to plan by the time this episode posts. But uh, SpaceX is due. Uh, to return to flight this weekend, um, they're being a little cagey about a couple of things. They had they were supposed to have a uh, stand uh, fire test, and that didn't happen. But they haven't said when it will or why it hasn't. Um, but as of our recording right now, uh, this is is due to to take place uh, this weekend. 
Yeah. So by the time this this episode goes out, uh, it may have it may have happened. But SpaceX is trying to get back into flight after the after the the uh, accident that you saw. Yep. And uh, so, and there's also talk about it being uh, of them uh, doing their trying their landing at uh, at Kennedy Space Center, uh, you know, in in Florida rather than out on a barge on the water, which mm-hmm. is probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that transpires, and uh, we'll check back in with that uh, next time. Our next piece of of, of not follow up, but our next uh, checklist item is sort of in the same same boat where it's news now, but it, it, the news may be different. Uh, but we're going to talk about it anyways. Yesterday's um, news today. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The uh, the Fortnite thing is just really confusing sometimes. Uh, so the the federal budget proposed budget for 2016 oh, yeah. uh, includes uh, always you know the federal budget always includes money for NASA and the proposed 2016 budget which is currently in Congress um, has 19.3 billion uh, earmarked for the space agency which is actually one I think 1.27 billion more than last year and it's more than uh, what was requested which is pretty cool. Um, and so this is, uh, like I said, winding its way through the, uh, the congressional uh, process, and we'll we'll land on the president's desk at some point soon. Um, but I really wanted to to point out there's 1.24 billion in here for commercial crew, which, again, you know, getting these getting astronauts into low Earth orbit on vehicles built and and basically operated by the private sector. So this right. is money for NASA to to assist with that. Uh, and then there's also money earmarked in here for the um, space launch system, uh, which is uh, two billion, and uh, that's actually 644 million more than requested. So, again, a lot of activity around getting uh, NASA's own vehicle uh, up and running and and ready to go. So, you know, as a space fan, I'm excited to see that the Congress is is financing NASA at a higher level than requested, and looking forward to. That going through, hopefully. And talking to uh, Emily about this, um, I got we got so much out of that conversation with her. It was pretty cool. She she mentioned um, the fact that there's this uh, there's this congressman who is um, and he's got, he's a chair of a of a committee um, and is he's from Texas and he's really excited about Europa and how he's going to get stuff by gum. He's going to get stuff uh, for Europa in the budget. And one of the big outliers of more than what NASA asked for is totally about that. It's uh, this Europa probe funding where I believe the the House budget um, includes uh, not just a Europa orbiter, but funding for a Europa orbiter and lander. That's, That's pretty cool. By twenty, you know, to launch by twenty twenty two or something like that. Which again, we'll see as this goes through its politics. As this goes through the process, we'll see what happens. But um, that's an example where it lo- sounds like that congressman is saying, "No, no, NASA, we want you to do this. We're going to give you the money to do it, and we want you to do it." Which is, if you listen to Emily's story about him, is not actually surprising that he would kind of go above and beyond and try to direct uh, a, a Europa mission. Right, and it's really how this stuff gets done, right? The, a lot of these types of projects in, in their very initial stages will have, like, have a hero, have somebody or a group of people really pushing for it and trying to get it get it done, get it funded. And um, I, I think it'd be great, and yeah. uh, hopefully hopefully that, that moves forward. Um, I popped uh, in some Planet X news. 
I see that with a lot of a lot of exclamation points in our show notes about this and question marks because it's probably not Planet X and it's probably not aliens. But I, I wanted to mention it. There's a bunch of scientists used the um, the ALMA uh, telescope, which is a, a telescope array in the Atacama Desert in Chile, to look at. Um, uh, distant objects in the solar system because there's a lot of heat. Ha, huh? not actually heat. There are a lot of mm. discussion, let's say, of uh, <laughs> what happens in the outer solar system and, and there's a lot of uh, analysis and exploration out there. It's It's been an interesting uh, few years in that area where the you know, stuff that's way out there and our instruments now can help us measure it. And they, they think they found an object that is large and is way out in the solar system, although they're not entirely sure. They think it, They think it's... It's dark. They're seeing it in submillimeter wavelengths. They think it's near, um, optically, it's near Alpha Centauri, but um, they're not entirely sure. They think it's not something that's in the Alpha Centauri system. Uh, it's it's a it's a bit of a mystery. Um, it might be between our solar system and Alpha Centauri. It might be, uh, you know, there there are a bunch of possibilities. It could be a really dark wor- world, a hundred AU's away. It could be an Earth-sized planet that is. 300 AUs away, or it could even be like a brown dwarf, a failed, uh, a failed star uh, that's 20,000 AUs away. That's way out there. They don't really know, but they think that this is an object. Although even they admit that it may not be entirely, uh, that, you know, that there may be some issues with their measurement, and it may be nothing. Uh, and there's definitely a lot of skepticism about it. Mike Brown um, from from Caltech, the Pluto killer, uh, says that it, you know, it's interesting, but. They're they're looking at such a narrow range that if they could if they found that object right there, then that probably means that there are uh, like two hundred thousand other objects like it, and it's not actually possible for that because uh, um, ev- everybody would die because the the gravity of that would destabilize the solar system. So it's one of those things that it's kind of fun uh, and interesting and looking for way that far out. It's very hard to spot things because they're very cold. And they, they, you know, unless they light themselves and their stars, it's very hard to see them. Um, but uh, that's where the exploration is happening right now. Um, a lot of uh, astronomers are looking to that region. So we're going to probably have more of this where, where we, we are, you know, are looking in the dark and squinting and being like, is that something? I think maybe that's something. And then somebody else will say, no, that's not anything. You're seeing things. So anyway, probably not aliens, probably not Planet X, but you never know. Yeah. And... Uh, New Horizon being out there too, you know, looking looking at like how did you describe it a couple weeks ago? It was like the uh, it was the title of the show, I don't remember, but um, like the Ring of Debris or something. All of this this stuff at the edge of the solar system, which, like you said, we really don't have a good idea of what's out there. And and with New Horizons, yeah. we're going to start learning a little bit more about the the, the Kuiper items. But it's and, um, and the word cloud too. You're thinking of the halo of junk, by the way. Yes. Paraphrasing, <laughs> the uh, fantastic halo of junk. That was a pretty good title. Around, um, uh, yeah, around the solar system. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff floating out there, and the question is, can, what is it, and and how well can we see it? And uh, outer solar system exploration is, yeah, it's very interesting. New Horizons is a big part of that too. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a cool time to be looking way out there, but it remains to be seen whether this is anything or not. Playmax. Yeah. Um, so, so Jason, uh, most of our listeners probably know that, that you and I, uh, we both work for ourselves, yes. right? Uh, you write and podcast, I write and podcast, uh, a pair of bills that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you're self-employed, you always have that thought in the back of your head of like, you know, what if, 
what if I need to go find something? Right. right? What job um, would I would I look for? What job would right. I accept if somebody came and, to me? Right. And as promised on a on a previous episode, uh, I have applied to become an astronaut. Okay. Uh, it didn't go very well. <laughs> there are a couple of links in the show notes. Uh, one to this USA Jobs website, which you have to like make an account for to see anything. Yeah. Like it's it's government it bureaucracy. Very, it's beautiful. Yeah, it was all very like red tapey. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they list three requirements uh, at this at this stage. Uh, one is a bachelor's degree in engineering, biological science, physical science, computer science, or mathematics. Mine is in journalism, so yeah. uh, I, I missed that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one, three years of related, uh, progressively responsible professional experience obtained after degree completion or uh, at least a thousand hours pilot and command time in jet aircraft. So this was about basically being a pilot. Uh, missed that one too. I don't know. You, you're, you're, you have had reg- related progressively responsible experience after your degree completion. It's yes. just in the wrong degree. Again. In the wrong, so yeah, completely the building wrong on field. a faulty foundation there. If they need a Mac IT guy yeah. at NASA, like the, uh, golden. Yeah, sure. Uh, but not fixing, in space. Ma- fix, fixing MacBooks on Mars, I can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third one, <laughs> ability to pass the NASA long duration astronaut physical, which. Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. I uh, don't really know. Uh, I'm gonna give myself a pass on that because I'm in pretty good shape. Um, I do wear glasses, and that, uh, as they say, is acceptable. <laughs> so nice. So I can see, and maybe I could do a physical, maybe not. But uh, the first two, the, the the degree and the job experience, just really kind of knocked me out of the running. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. You can I mean, keep if hosting the show then. Yeah, I guess. I guess I'll just keep podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it really, you know, you got a lot, a lot of Skype latency uh, on uh, space. It's very hard to do a podcast so. from space. I, I wonder when our first podcast from space, if it hasn't already been recorded, you know. Yeah, I don't think it counts to just have the downlink and uh, and podcast that audio. I think you need an actual like space station podcast or something. I think so. Well, you know, if they if they need us to go set up a studio or something, I know some guys. Yeah, we can go up there. So yeah, so so those links are in the show notes. It's it was it was it was exciting. I thought that my computer might explode filling out a government form, but uh, I, I I'm not going anywhere, Jason. I'm okay, staying good. Here. Good. That is a relief. I was worried. <laughs> so uh, this week we're going to talk about uh, what we're calling the the rhythm of the Earth. So the way that <laughs> seasons seasons work. You're calling it that. I'm not calling it that. I, I it needed a name. I. <laughs> It needed some sort of name. Uh, talking about the the way the Earth the Earth orbits the Sun. <laughs> the or the Earth. Uh, words, man, words. It's the it's it's the uh, it's the solstice. The solstice is coming up. When this episode posts, I think it's basically going to be right bef- on or just before the solstice. So it felt like a good time to talk about what solstices and equinoxes and things like that because it actually is all about space. It turns out the seasons all about space. All about space. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we do that, do you want to tell us about our sponsor this week? Well, of course. Uh, it is our, uh, our, our favorite uh, friend of the show, Luminos from Wobbleworks. Uh, this episode brought to you by the, the all-in-one mobile astronomy app for iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. It's Luminos. It's been in development for more than a decade. It has all the power that you'll find on desktop astronomy programs to a mobile device. That's right. There are plenty of stargazing apps that let you identify targets in the sky. Luminos goes above and beyond. It's got accurate models of millions of astronomical objects. If you uh, look up and see a comet or satellite overhead, there is a comet out there. You're looking in the right place right now, I think. 
Um, with a single tap, you can launch to your target and ride along in animated 3D. So if you want to visualize the thing that you're looking at from its perspective, pretty cool. There's a lunar phase calendar. We're not talking about lunar phases in this episode, although I did all the research for it, so that'll be in an upcoming episode. Um, in the app itself, in a home screen widget, you can pick the best nights for stargazing, get that bright old moon out of the way so that you can see things clearly. Uh, Wobbleworks is a family business that has more than 50 years of com- uh, combined software experience, and they have built Luminos to delight astronomy fans uh, and make new fans of astronomy. It includes detailed planet and moon maps, tens of thousands of asteroids and comets, millions of stars. There are a lot of stars out there. It's got wireless telescope control and a lot more. You can even view live live sky charts on your Apple Watch, and it's one low price. There are no paid upgrades. There are no in-app purchases. It's been uh, They've been releasing free updates uh, on the App Store for five years, and uh, including more than 13,000 precisely aligned deep space images, current and historical meteor showers, and there's more soon. So anyway, find out more about Luminos at wobbleworks.com, and thank you to Luminos for sponsoring Liftoff. You know, I was um, out in the countryside uh, last weekend, and uh, it was great because we, I took the family and we, um, and we went outside in the backyard with the lights turned off at my sister-in-law's house and uh, looked up at the stars. And it was pretty great because there's way more stars visible from out there than there are in the city here where I live. So uh, we got some Milky Way viewing, which is pretty cool because the kids never get a chance to see the Milky Way. And um, I blew my daughter's mind at one point <laughs> when explaining that... Uh, if you were in a different part of space, the constellations wouldn't look the same. And that just because we see Orion up there, if, uh, you know, those stars are actually kind of like different distances. And mm-hmm. and uh, she was like, whoa, it was pretty cool because she's a teenager and I, I don't, you know, I don't get those reactions from her very much anymore. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. So uh, that is cool. And, and, you know, then you bring out your app and uh, you can you can say, oh, yeah, I totally know what what this star is. So. So uh, Luminos is uh, great for stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So we're going to dive into this. And I think we're going to start with how the Earth orbits the sun. Yeah. That seems like a good place to start for me. It's kind of the, I think it's kind of the simplest part of this. Yeah. Um, Let me me give you some basics. Okay. Okay. The Earth, uh, it, it spins around itself, its own axis. And then it also moves around the sun. Did you know that? I didn't know that. We, d- we are not riding on the back of a of a dragon. <laughs> We're not. I don't even know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you you uh, some of these notes here in here belong to you, don't they? Um, you you want to tell me uh, about how uh, how the Earth's orbit works? Yeah. So the Earth's orbit is not a perfect uh, circle around the sun. It is elliptical. It's a little a uh, little lopsided. And it's you know like all this stuff like none of these uh, none of these relationships are, are ever clean right they're always sort of like weird no there's slightly lots of, off there's lots of trends but you know we and we talk about the solar system being dynamic and it's changing all the time you know things look you know they're all kind of in the same way but they're not quite perfect there's not nothing perfect in the in the solar system right. It takes it takes the Earth uh, roughly three hundred sixty five and one quarter days to complete an orbit around the sun, and uh, well, how do we that, deal with that one quarter of a day? That's very confusing. We just add them up and have a leap year. Oh, it's yeah. easy. So, so uh, that's that's what we'll be doing on uh, February 29th next year. 
That's right. So every every uh, four years, the calendar adds one extra day to accommodate for this. Uh, if we didn't accommodate for it, we would eventually have uh, basically have calendar drift where uh, January, you know, December, January, February in the northern hemisphere would not be how it is now. Yeah, the, sol- the solstice and e- solstices and equinox would drift. So we we correct that uh, every four years with the leap year. Uh, a couple a uh, couple uh, distances for you. Uh, the average distance of we've talked about this. We talked about this in the sun episode, I think. Uh, one hundred forty nine point six million million kilometers between Earth and the Sun on average, about ninety three million miles. Ooh, ooh, ooh that's one AU. It is <laughs> very good, Jason. Mm. J- you're paying attention. The Sun episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so earlier we were talking about Planet X being a hundred AU away. It would be a hundred times further than, the, than this. Yeah, that, that's uh, far. Ninety three million miles. That's way out there. Nine point three billion miles by my calculations. You. Yeah, math. Woo. <laughs> the uh the speed of the earth, again, is as an average of uh thirty kilometers a second or sixty seven thousand miles per hour. Um Speedy. and uh and so yes, yeah, so that's kind of the the picture of the earth moving around the sun. It is it is very fast. It is an elliptical orbit and it is not quite 365 days long right but you can you, if you think of it that way it's like think about the size think that we're we're it's a circle 90 ish it's not a circle it's an ellipse but 93 million miles away from the sun and uh so that's a lot of that's a lot of territory to cover and the earth covers it in a single year so we are definitely cruising around the sun uh and and so this is great because we're talking about the seasons. so um this is uh this is awesome. Now that we know that the Earth is sometimes closer and sometimes further away than the Sun, that totally explains the seasons, right? Because um w- it must be summer like when it's closer and and winter when it's further away. Uh, that's part of it. No, it, it's it has very little, if anything, to do with it. it no! in, in fact, you'll be shocked to know that in the northern hemisphere where we live, uh, we are the Earth is closer to the Sun in the winter. Ah. <gasps> It doesn't make any sense, and also it doesn't explain how the fact that in the winter uh, the days are shorter and the and the nights are longer, and in the summer it's the reverse. That's because the seasons are not actually uh, determined by our placement uh, closer or far away than the sun. It's based on the Earth's own tilt, the axial tilt. So Earth, you know, we spin around. That's how we get days and nights. That's how we pass the time between day and night. Is the Earth is 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 spinning. And it's spinning on its axis, and its axis is not straight up and down with uh, regard to its path around the sun. So uh, that's that's the story. And there's a I wanted to put out uh, there's a thing called the right hand rule, which is just another way that the northern hemisphere exerts its domis- dominance over the southern hemisphere. <laughs> it's basically a whole bunch of European astronomers who came up with this a long time ago, and now we're stuck with it. So the right hand rule is the idea is that if if you make a fist with your right hand. Um, your your fingers and 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 stick your thumb straight up, right? Your fingers are are curving in the direction of rotation uh, of the planet, and the thumb is the North Pole. Why is it not the South Pole? Because we said so. Sorry, Australia. <laughs> because Europe. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So so Earth's uh, Earth's axis is tilted about twenty three degrees off of its path around the sun. Uh, although even that is not, like you were saying, even that is dynamic. The Earth wobbles like a top. It's something called precession. 
And so over the course of 41,000 years, it oscillates between about 22 degrees and 24 and a half degrees. Currently, we're at 23.4 degrees and headed downward in the cycle. Um, but anyway, that, that means that, that the Earth is spinning and that also it means that uh, North Pole changes, which is one of the reasons why uh, Polaris will not be the pole star for uh, forever, because right. the North Pole will p- be pointed in a different direction. Because mm-hmm. we spin like a top. So uh, at the summer solstice, which is, uh, so solstice is the extreme and equinox is in the, is in the middle. And we'll talk about that. It's the even Steven time, but solstice is in the extreme. The summer solstice means uh, that, that, that uh, your hemisphere is pointed toward the sun and the other one is away from the sun. Now it's only this 23-ish degree tilt, so it's not like it's it's edge on. Um that would be weird. And there is a place on the, in the solar system that's like that and it's super weird. Um and and so when it's tilted at that angle, it means that there's more sun going in that one hemisphere than the other. Um so on the summer side of the equator, the days are long, on the winter side, they're short. Um and that that is uh that is the effect that gives us the seasons is is it's literally the the globe of the earth the ball of the earth is because of its tilted axis either favoring one side of of uh, north of the equator or or the side south of the equator at the at the extremes um or another way i like to think of it from an earth centric perspective if you think of that with that we're you know let's hold our 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 own world uh as a, as uh as the unmoving earth, which is not true as we just heard. Um, but just imagine it for a moment. You're standing outside the track. If you think about the track, the sun goes through in the sky in a given day. Um, then, uh, so from horizon to horizon, if you think of it that way in the winter, it is in the narrow part of the sky, which for a Northern hemisphere person is the Southern part of the sky. It gets further. The sun gets further South. It has less sky to go through. From horizon to horizon and in the summer it keeps moving north and at its northernmost point that's the longest day of the year it's got the most sky to go through um and so that's another way to think of it it's uh it's funny i talk to people who really are interested in science and technology and and space and don't uh and don't think about stuff like the seasons and how it how they work at all so <laughs> i think it's worth talking about i, I agree um and that phenomenon gets a little crazy when you're really far north or really far south yeah the more the more uh toward the poles you get the more extreme it is uh back in uh july of i don't know 2006 maybe 2005 2006 i went on a baltic cruise so i was in finland and sweden and russia um pretty far north uh and it was only about two weeks after the summer solstice and it was crazy because if you imagine the sun sweeping through uh, through the sky and the, the the more sky it sweeps through the uh the longer days you've got um it's even crazier toward the poles because when you're above the arctic circle um what or 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 below the antarctic circle for uh for a southern summer um you know the sun the sun's path eventually gets to the point where it's just kind of going in a loop but it stays up Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or it just grazes the horizon or just goes just below the horizon it's a much more extreme phenomenon and that that was absolutely true on the baltic cruise is that it, we 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 had night but the the sun was grazing the horizon and so we had long twilights 
very little actual darkness, and then the twilight would come again and the sun would rise again. There, it was it was pretty wild. Where uh, for most people who live at uh, more temperate climates, uh, you you uh, you have extremes of summer and winter, but they're not quite that extreme. Right. It, it, you may notice it's it's darker an hour or so earlier, but it's not not at all what you just described, where it's dark for just a. A little bit of time before it, the cycle starts over. Well, I went to a wedding in Hawaii last year, my cousin's wedding, and it was in May. It was in it was in mid May, and you know the days were getting long, um, and it was really nice. And then when we flew to Hawaii, which is much further south, um, you know the days were shorter because the closer you get to the equator, the less variation there is from season to season. So if you if you go to um, you know go to a tropical area from a far north area. Uh, in the summertime, uh, you know, you're going to lose, you might be warmer, but you're going to lose, uh, you're going to lose sunlight. Right. Uh, so, so what's, uh, what's the story with uh, the equinox? Okay. So equinox is this even Stephen point. It is when, um, it is when the earth's uh, axis is, is aligned to the axis of its orbit around the sun. So basically the, um, you could measure straight up and down on a globe and say like everybody in the night, the, the night sky is, is, is a 50, 50 Northern hemisphere and Southern hemisphere. And at the, that times, everybody gets 12 hours of ish of, of light and 12 hours of darkness. And if there was no axial tilt in the earth, it would be like that all the time. It would always be the equinox, but instead it moves, you know, it moves in and out. And uh, those are the, uh, those are the other points of uh of the of the process so the solstices are the extremes and the equinoxes are the uh the base point where everything is even and you know this is a, a big deal because the intensity of the sunlight so when you when the hemisphere that you are uh inhabiting uh, is in position for more sunlight you no know, you are also getting sunlight but you're also getting uh more of the radiation from the sun, which we spoke about on, on the sun episode, and in the winter, that is a less direct of a hit, if you will. Yeah, and this, this is something that I, I um, when I learned about this, I, I was kind of blown away because I, I wasn't uh, thinking of it this way. But um, you know, like I don't know if you have in your area like UV warnings or something like that, where they say oh, yeah. it's going to be high UV today and all that. And the summertime, there's more ultraviolet radiation from the sun and all that. And the reason is this exact same reason. Um, the, I saw an illustration once. Um, that that used a flashlight as the example and basically said, like, if you shine the light straight down on a table, it's super bright. But if you tilt the light so it's so the light is spread out across the whole table, you know, that light is not as intense because it's being spread out over a greater distance. And even though the amount of light coming out of the flashlight is the same, it, it, it is less direct and spread out. And that's what happens in winter is you get less radiation and in the summer the radiation is more intense or if you want to think of it this way the higher up the sun is in the sky the more radiation you're getting because you're getting more stuff directly and so in the summer the sun is more intense and the ultraviolet is more intense and that's why you know we all need to put on your sunscreen before you go outside in the summer even if it isn't hot because that's not what it's about it's it's the it's the radiation that'll get you and in the sun in the summer there's more of it because there's more sun in the summer not just time wise but like more power from the sun in the summer right 
And so that's really how our seasons uh, seasons are defined. Yeah, this is all, I mean, the bottom line is the seasons are about the Earth's axis and it being tilted. And, and everything comes from that. So the first day of winter, this is like you can win bar bets with this. You can win trivia contests. So impress your friends. First day of winter is the shortest day of the year. Um, we measure them based that way. So the, so the first day of winter is the winter solstice. And that's the shortest day of the year. So when you enter winter, you're not entering the worst, the darkest period of your of your year. You actually are already at rock bottom in terms right, of... Right, you're, you're at the turnaround point. Yeah, yeah. It gets everything... This, and it's funny to think about that, right? It's like once winter starts, you think, oh man, now I got to live through three months of winter. And based on climate, that that, that can be true um, because the, the winter months are defined that way because... Um, they tend to be the worst weather months. But in reality, once you hit the first day of winter, um, the days get longer from there. <laughs> Things get better from there. That's the low point. And it's all uphill from there. Unfortunately, um, there's carryover in the in the system. And I'm not a meteorologist, but the, I think the idea there is that um, you're only... The, the the energy that was put in during the summer still has, sort of has to sap out of the of the system. And it takes a little time, so there's some lag time. But in the end, though, the first day of winter is not uh, is not the, um, a midpoint. It's actually the end point, and you start the curve back up to the uh, to the first day of summer, which is going to be your longest day of the year. Um, and yeah, in between are the equinoxes, where it passes through that midpoint, and those are the first days of uh, autumn or fall and spring. So, uh, so what that what this means is the last half of fall. And the first half of winter, that's the miserable period. Those are the darkest three months of the year. Not all of winter. Late winter is actually not doing so bad. Late winter is almost getting toward 50-50. Yep. It's all, it's all really cool when you, when you realize that that's, you know, it's such a dynamic system that we, that we can talk about, but that we actually live in it. And you go outside and you feel it because the Earth's tilt does what it does. And the way that the Earth... uh you know, it could be just this really dynamic place is, um, I don't know. I think it's cool. I think it's cool when like science and math, you can go outside and feel it on your skin. Yeah. Like space know? explains why we have seasons. It's kind of right. a cool idea, right? It's like, <laughs> it it's is not, cool. it's not like, because, well, this is just the way it is, right? It's like, well, why? And at some point, uh, people in antiquity said, well, why is it this way? And this is why it is. It's the tilt of the earth that does this to us. Um, but we are not the only place in the solar system with seasons and with an axial tilt because other planets have it too, uh, except Mercury, which is super boring. And, and because I think of the influence of the sun is super locked in and it has no tilt at all. Yep. Uh, Venus has, uh, a little bit, um, a little bit less than, uh, Three degrees with a tilt, but it orbits backwards. Yeah, so te- technically, fun. I think that means that it's like it, you could argue that it's like what 177 degrees or yeah. something like that. But and, and some some people will they'll say that it it doesn't follow a right hand rule. But we'll just give them credit, give it Venus credit for being having a pole within three degrees of its orbit. But it spins the wrong way. Boo! Come on, yeah. Venus, get it together. Get it together. Uh, Mars is just a little bit more extreme than us at at 25 degrees yeah but still has season so it's so you know it's 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 in the it's in the earth kind of ballpark of uh because earth's tilt can be as extreme as 24 and a half so um so yeah that mars's seasons are kind of understandable they have winters and 
summers on Mars, just like we do. Although keep in mind, Mars's orbit is further out than us. So all their seasons last longer because the year lasts longer at Mars. Exactly. Uh, Jupiter clocks in at three degrees, uh, basically kind of in the Venus yeah. range, but it orbits the correct way because he's a grown up. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, burn Venus. <laughs> uh, Saturn is uh, 27 degrees. Yeah, so a little bit, yeah. but, you know, kind of in the yeah. in the Earth-Mars ballpark. And Neptune is that way, too. It's at about 28 degrees. It's It's yeah. got a little bit of a, a tilt. It's got, it got some seasons. And sometimes in gas or ice giants, you can see the atmosphere sort of changes based on uh, whether it's summer or winter or spring uh, on, on uh, which hemisphere and all that. But then there's Uranus, which is the best. Uh, it's 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 so good. Uh, Eighty two degrees. Yeah, it's doing a barrel roll. It's basically yeah. rolling. It basically lays on its side, uh, based on its. Uh, or, or if you think of it another way, the uh, one of the poles of Uranus is faced forward at like the direction it's going around the sun, mm-hmm. and the other one is looking out the 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 back window at where they've <laughs> been in the solar system. Um, which is, which means that, uh, every pole is, uh, is looks at, uh, looks away from the sun for 42 years and then toward the sun for 42 years. So, uh, the Uranus's North pole gets 42 years, earth years of, of night followed by 42 earth years of light. Yay. Um, and depending on the perspective when it's going around, it's either orbiting on its side, or I read an article that said it's either rolling on or orbiting on its side, like a like it's rolling through its orbit, or uh, at the other extreme of of its of its orbit, it looks like it's uh, tumbling. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's weird. So Uranus, weird, weird sideways planet. So Uranus and Venus are really the the outliers in some ways when it comes to to um, not orbits but to uh, to rotations. Because Uranus is laying on its side and Venus is backward. Yep. So that's uh, that's seasons. That's how that's, that's how, how they work. That's how the seasons work. It's pretty cool. And the moon has nothing to do with it. It's true. But we'll talk about the moon another another time because there's moon. We have we have some moon business to do, but um, but we're, we should save that for another show. I th- I think so. If you want to find the show notes for this week, there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can look in your podcast uh, client of choice if you're listening on your phone or some other device, but you can also go to our website. Uh, the links and notes for this episode are at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 10. Uh, on that page, you can uh, do a couple of things. You become a member, which is super cool, helps support uh, Jason and I. You can send us an email from the contact form. You can Hit us up on Twitter. The show is at Liftoff Podcast. Jason is at J Snell, and I am at ISMH. You can find Jason's writing at the uh, the ever exciting SixColors dot com. <laughs> yes. uh, which, if you haven't uh, visited Six Colors, you should, and you should leave it loaded for a while. And uh, he does a fun thing to your brain if you look at his mm. website long enough. Yep. I won't spoil it. True. You can find my writing at Five uh, Twelve Pixels dot net. And again, get in touch if you have follow-up or feedback or topic ideas. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. And uh, I think I think that's it. All right. Bye, everybody. Adios. Adios.